The Healthy Alabama podcast is sponsored by Enroll Alabama, a program that enrolls Alabamians in the health insurance marketplace. Enroll Alabama is a project of AIDS Alabama. For more information, visit the website AIDSAlabama.org. Welcome to another edition of the Healthy Alabama podcast, sponsored by Enroll Alabama, a project of AIDS Alabama. I'm David Person, your host and producer. So imagine that you are having the migraine of all migraines and you don't know why you're having it. You stumble into a hospital emergency room, you collapse, and then you discover that you almost died. That is the story of Rashida Dore Wilson, and she is my guest today. On the Healthy Alabama podcast. She's also the director of experiential learning at Alabama A&M University's College of Business and Public Affairs. Rashida, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Good to have you here. So so that happened to you how many years ago? Well, uh, seven years ago today, okay. April 26, 2012. So you were, if I'm doing my math correctly, you were 38 years old. That's correct. You just had your fourth child. My first. Child. Oh, your first child. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and how far removed were you from the pregnancy at the time that this incident occurred? So it was 10 days after having him. I was having pretty bad headache. I assumed that it had something to do with either the two epidurals that I had because of the pain or the oxycodone, which was the medication. And um, so that's side effects. And so I thought that's what it was, but clearly it wasn't. Okay, you thought that you were having side effects from pain medication, but when the doctors got you on the operating table after you stumbled into the hospital and collapsed, they opened up your scalp to look at your brain, and what did they see? So they saw aged blood and fresh blood. So the aged blood meant that I had already had an aneurysm, didn't know it, and then the fresh blood was from the pain I was actually feeling, the pressure from the um, blood vessel that had popped. Aged blood, meaning that your your brain had already burst, in a sense, I guess. And so there was blood on top of your brain. There was not supposed to be blood on top of your brain. And you don't know how long it was there. They don't know how long it was there. So it could have happened days ago, weeks prior. Yeah. Don't know. No. Hmm. <laughs> All right. So then they discovered that. And how did, how were they able to deter, distinguish between the aged blood and the fresh blood? Honestly, I don't know. I know that um, after the pain that I was feeling when I came into the emergency room and they rushed me in the back, took my vitals, they gave me some uh, morphine. And of course, after consistently pressing the little button for the morphine, they realized it had to be more than just a regular headache because the pain was excruciating. And when they got me in the back, they realized, okay, it's more than just what just happened with the baby. So let's go take her downstairs to get a CAT scan. And when they got me to do the CAT scan, that's when they were able to tell. I don't know how they told the difference. I mean, that's an answer maybe the doctor can give, but they clearly expressed to us that I had had an aneurysm prior to the mm-hmm. pressure I had just felt. You obviously did not know when that had happened, how it had happened, anything. You hadn't been under any, aside from having your baby, you hadn't been under any other pressure or under duress in any significant way? I was working at the time in an, an organization in Maryland where I had to work with individuals with, with disabilities. I was the HR um, manager at this location. And so there was a lot of pressure around that, you know, working with the care workers who would come see me frequently. They would come to my office for counseling and some of everything else. You know, so between carrying a child and being in an environment where there's a natural level of stress, I think that may have contributed somehow, but I don't want to 
put the blame on the organization itself. Right. But to you, to your way of thinking, there was nothing unusual about the level of stress you had. Nothing unusual at all. Okay. So the doctors open up your scalp. They find this this circumstance, this dire circumstance. What do they do? So they had to stop the bleeding. So they put a clamp in your brain, and then they stop the blood. Basically, they put you through a process of rehab. I mean, it's probably obviously more extensive than that, and it's hours and hours of surgery. I mean, my family is waiting in this little room to hear what the outcome could potentially be. Um, And the doctor obviously came out to have a conversation saying, hey, she's surgery's done. It's most blood we've ever seen. The amount of blood was unreal. And that um, we don't know what the outcome's going to be, if she's going to live or she's going to die. Of course, they're faith believers, so they were believing life. Um, But at that moment, the reality was it didn't have to turn out that way. Um, then the nurse came in while he was having a conversation with them. Hey, she's she woke up. She pulled the tube out of her mouth. So miraculously, it went from the surgery to it. We don't know what the outcome is going to be to me actually waking up. And how did you feel? Well, when I got up, I was able to notice people coming in the room as they had to put me in like, you know, recovery or whatever. Um, but it took a long time for me to gain just and understanding what my brain was just not calibrating properly at all, just in the number of ways. But um, I did have recognized faces um, and I did recognize people. So th- that's one of the good things. Um, but it took a very long time for me to be able to even add numbers, know if my shirt was on the inside or the outside. I mean, it just took a while for me to get back up. And, move and, function. and you explained to me earlier that the reason for that was not necessarily the aneurysm or the injury that your brain sustained, but it was also the fact that the surgery they had to perform removed a certain section of your brain, right? So, yes, they cut the right side of my brain a couple inches. Um, but what happens is whatever side of your brain they work on, the opposite side, your optical nerve. So they, they touched the right side of my brain, but it affected my optical nerve on the left side. And so now I have a deficiency when I'm looking at something like I can't see out of my peripheral without compensating for it by actually turning my head. So it's just my therapies just train me to compensate more than I would have prior, you know, took things for granted. But now I look over my shoulder all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's where you are now. But prior to getting to where you are now, you're saying that you had real issues with sight, like you were saying earlier today, that you had the tendency to push your food to the left side of the plate and you didn't realize you weren't conscious of this. Visually, you you couldn't see this. At all. So your food didn't appear to be, I guess you thought your food was in the center. Yeah. But it was on the left side and then sometimes would be off the plate onto the table. Absolutely. And I'd have to put my, I had to train myself to put my hand on the left side of my plate. So as I would eat, I would keep anything from, I mean, you, you want to have proper etiquette, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I just kind of put my hand on the left side of my plate because of the peripheral cut. Um, I just couldn't see things on the left side, even down to numbers. As I think I shared with you earlier, if a number said 15,200, I would see 5,200. I wouldn't see hmm. the one. So, yeah, it took a long time to get through that process. On the outside, though, everyone would see me thinking all was well. But the people closest to me, particularly my sister, always knew, even when we go into a store and I couldn't find my way, she could look at me and say, okay, she's not having a good moment. How long did it take for you to get your brain recalibrated? So after the surgery, I went through rehab, and it was probably a few weeks, and I was actually playing tennis. Hmm. I mean, it's kind of miraculous. It is, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, it is, yeah. But, but it didn't take away from the fact that even a few months and months after that, I couldn't add my tip to my bill. So I could do some activities, but when it came down to like small 
minor things. Mathematical, yeah, minor I, mathematical Yeah, even I couldn't tell if my shirt was on the inside or the outside, particularly if the tag was embedded in the shirt and I couldn't feel a tag. Hmm. Yeah, so it was kind of weird. The brain is a very sensitive yeah. organ, yeah. isn't it? Indeed. Very sensitive, very vulnerable organ. Yeah. Yeah. So you eventually, through, I think you said occupational therapy. Yeah, occupational, physical, and speech. Okay. You eventually got to the point where you now are living seven years later. What you would say is a, is a, a life that is comparable in terms of normalcy yeah. to the way that you lived before right. the incident, before the aneurysm. Yeah. I, I will say this, though. At that time, it was very challenging because, of course, I, the things I'm doing now is doing then before this catastrophe took place. And I just felt like I'm never going to be able to function again like myself. So, of course, you're having these self-defeating thoughts and you're feeling like you're just never going to be able to make it. And a friend of mine, as I shared with you earlier, I said, you know, I feel like I'm only operating at 70, 80 percent of myself. And she said, you know, you're going to have to operate at 100 percent or 70, 80 percent. And that just pushed me to know that I may not feel like I'm at my 100 percent, but I'm going to push forward. And I think that's what got me to where I am now um, because of that mindset that she kind of embedded in me in our conversation. When you and I were talking and you shared that with me, I think that's what really caused me to think that. We need to have you on the podcast because what you talked about was so, I think, essential just to dealing with adversity in life. You were talking about the kind of pain, the physical pain that you were enduring as you were going through rehabilitation. Yeah, it was very difficult, (laughs) very difficult. I mean, I would. So I had to go to those three therapies every day. Um, occupational, physical, obviously, you are learning to step over things and not trip over sidewalks. So they're putting all these obstacles. Basically, they create an obstacle course for me every day, and I had to learn. So they didn't want me out in the street when I got re- rehabilitated to be tripping over sidewalks, right? So that was occupational therapy. Then, of course, speech therapy was learning the things like adding your bill and being able to read and talk. And, and then um, that was physical therapy. And occupational was when they would take me to a simulated environment where I would go in a grocery store, and they would have items on the shelf with the amount on the items, and I'd have to be able to really scan the shelves, which is what I need to do to compensate for my peripheral being cut, and really pay attention to how to go grocery shopping. So they're trying to get me to be able to function again on my own without any assistance. And so it was a challenge, you know, trying to get through that process. But every day I would put my feet flat on the floor with tears running down my eyes and feeling like pins were sticking in the back of my eyes because I had stitches, literal stitches down my head. And I'd have to remind myself that if I'm going to get out of here and see my son because he could not come see me in rehab, that I was going to have to push past the pain. And I pushed every day. Yeah. Every day. Every day. Tears in your eyes. Yeah, because they offered, Miss Wilson or Miss Miss Dora, you know, you don't have to. We can take our time. And I'm just resilient as I am by nature. I'm like, no, I don't want to take my time. If it requires, if you're saying I can get out at this time, then what do I need to do to get out at this time? And I'm going to push myself every day to get out at this time. So. How do you find the the strength and the will when it feels like your eyeballs are being ripped out or, or, or shredded because of the pain? How do you find the will and the strength to to push past that? Yeah, well, I, I often tell people, I mean, I've been through a number of challenges in life and a lot of adversity. This is just one of my stories. But if I reach back into previous stories, it's always about, to me, surrounding yourself with the right people. I had the amazing family support system, you know, I just had people around me that kept encouraging me, showing up and kept 
reminding me of who I was and where I needed to be. And so I didn't do it all by myself. I mean, I had to put my feet on the ground, but if I didn't see a picture, my sister had a picture of me up on the wall where in the, in the um, rehab space and she's my biggest uh, cheerleader, but she had a picture of me and I, cause I wrote a magazine. So she had the cover of the magazine and said, this is who you all are servicing. She would constantly say this, this person is somebody she's important encourage her, let her know that she can make it. And so the nurses would come in and they would be wowed at what they would see. And I was pleasant. I mean, in the pain that I was in, I was still pleasant to all of them and thank them every day for taking care of me because if they didn't take care of me, my family wasn't always there mm-hmm. and they just encouraged me. I mean, they gave me the option of not finishing the, at the deadline, but they encouraged me, let me know I could do it. And the family surrounding me, good nursing staff, good occupational therapy, they all, they did the encouragement. I just put in the work. Your face was on a magazine cover? Yeah, I um I created a magazine some years ago. <laughs> All right, well let's go on and let's go on and just deal with that since you just kind of slid that in there. Yeah, yeah, I had a magazine for for women who lead in business ministry and life at one point, and so my face wasn't on the cover. I never put myself on the cover, but I was inside as the editor, mm-hmm. and so she kind of opened that page and put it up on the wall. This so time. what was the name of your magazine? Celise, which is my middle name. So Celise, yeah, yeah. S E L I S E. Yeah. And where was that being published? Here in Huntsville. And I wasn't here. I was in Maryland. But Color Express down uh, off Jetplex Road. Harold is his name. He was publishing it there. And so I did a couple issues. Um, but, I was, but I was doing a lot of it when I was in Maryland. You were in Maryland publishing a magazine in Huntsville? Well, I published it in Maryland, but I would get it printed here. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Why, <laughs> why, why is that? Why did you have it printed? Because here? when I started years ago, when I thought about doing something like having a magazine in the community, I met him, which was years ago. And so when I was in Maryland, I just had a, I liked him. He was a nice guy. You just had was, a connection. Yeah. So you didn't have any connection to Huntsville prior to that. Well, I did. When I lived in Huntsville, I felt like I was premature. So I had a number of things happen in my life. But one thing that happened, unfortunately, is that I went through a really challenging divorce. At one point in my life, and I felt like I was moved out of Huntsville prematurely. You know, I really loved it here, but that situation just kind of made me back away from Huntsville for a little while to recalibrate and think about life. And I moved to Maryland, where I was working at that job before I mm-hmm. had had my son. But yeah, I had those relationships here, and I liked Harold, and I loved Huntsville. And I'm really glad I'm back here. I love this place, but I felt like I was pushed out prematurely. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was a it's been a full circle. Okay. <laughs> So your sister put up this magazine to basically say to the medical staff, this is a woman of consequence. This is a woman who is accomplished. You need to understand that, you know, you need to do your job. And, of course, your job shouldn't matter who you're serving. But understand that this is a special person. Yeah, and that's what they said, and I appreciate that. I try to stay as humble as I can and below the radar, mm-hmm. um, but my sisters and my family are my biggest supporters, and they are very supportive of what God is doing in my life and all the great things that he's allowed me to be able to accomplish. And so they toot my horn mm-hmm. uh, whenever they can, and that was one of our opportunities to say, we're not here, but we need you to know who you're, who you're servicing. So. Well, you know what I love about that is I think it is essential for people to have Advocates. We all need, at times in our lives, we all need advocates or allies, people who will speak for us, stand for us, stand with us, advocate for us. You know, that's essential. And you were in a crisis. And while I'm sure that you had the ability to speak for yourself, you were diminished because of what had happened, the aneurysm. And by the way, just to make sure I'm clear. That was the actual diagnosis, right? That yeah. you had an aneurysm. Yeah, my blood pressure was so high that it caused a stroke, which 
resulted in the aneurysm. In the, okay. Yeah, the pressure. Mm-hmm. And the injuring of, and your, the brain. Injury of your brain. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you were blessed to have advocates yeah. in your sisters who stood and said, hey, you know, and I think that's important. And and also it's important to have people advocate for you in the right way. Because they could have rolled up in there all gangster like, right. like, yo, you better take care of our <laughs> sister or we're going to bust this place well, over. Well, I'm going to tell you the funny part about that is, so we're from New York, right? So, of course, we have this stigma when you're from New York. And it's not yeah. always the truth, right? Yeah. But there is some truth to it. So my sister, um, very what accomplished. Part of New York are you from? By New way? York City, Queens and Brooklyn. Queens Hung out, and Brooklyn. And worked in Manhattan, so not upstate. Uh, I'm New okay. York City. Hardcore. Yeah. Inner city New York. <laughs> yes, but my sister, when she found, because of course I get to the hospital and the thought is I have a headache. It's something minor. We can fix it. She's gonna be back home. When she shows up and finds out that they're having me being looked at because I have blood on my brain. It just threw her off and she's like, okay, who do I need to talk to? What's going on? What is happening? So yeah, there was that component on that end when she was like, listen, oh, so, th- so there was a little bit of gangster <laughs> yeah, action like, going listen, on in the hospital. Who okay. made this diagnosis and where okay. are they? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I spoke too soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should have fully interviewed yeah, yeah, you. Yeah, before. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but on the back end, I'll say this. Uh-huh. When, um, when she was advocating, you know, immediately upon it taking place, she changed Every, all of my family members changed their um, Facebook photos, um, profiles to my picture. So mm-hmm. my friends in Alabama who was seeing all this, and they know they're friends with my family. Like, what's happening? Why is Rashida's picture popping up on everybody's? And that's when the calls started coming in and things like that started happening. So it was a ripple effect. And she put out a clarion call for prayer. I mean, I had family in the islands at that time preparing for somebody's wedding or something. And they were praying all over the U.S. and outside the U.S. So prayer works. <laughs> you felt it? Absolutely. I mean, how did you how did you feel the prayers? So I'm on the my sister has videotape of this. And so I'm on the uh, the table after the surgery. So I'm in the recovery. But of course, they have all these tubes with stuff still leaking and draining and that kind of thing. And she has video of me prophesying, speaking, you know, myself, I'm going to live and not die. This is not how my story ends. I have a son to raise. I mean, and this is right after my head's been cut and I'm all bandaged. And it's, they said it was a miracle. And my mom said I was quoting all kinds of scriptures and I wasn't cognizant fully, but she didn't know I had that much scriptures on the inside of me, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So I know that that was only God, um, allowing them to intercede on my behalf and allow me to have enough life within myself to, to Do you remember myself. doing that? I can't really recall. I just know when I see the video, I'm like, oh, okay. You know, so it's a lot that I just can't recall. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so seven years later. Yeah. And this is actually exactly today, the day we're recording this, April the 26th, 2019, is exactly seven years from when that happened. Absolutely. What's the significance of this day to you? I don't know. I feel like, and I think we meant to talk about this briefly, but I feel like we all have a story to tell. And I think we don't understand the importance of the story that we have to tell. And so I feel like, Today, seven, you know, being a number of completion, I feel like it's almost like full circle. Like I could have died there, you know, and today I've been smiling and laughing more than I have. I mean, I'm, I'm always pretty jovial, but today, every time I talk to someone and they're like, I cannot believe, oh my goodness, this is amazing. You know, I post on Facebook and everyone's kind of praising God with me. I just feel like such a level of joy and gratefulness. Even last night, you know, I take time to worship and I just prayed and I said, God, I thank you for life. I don't take for granted when I say thank you for the activity of my limbs and allow me to be in my right mind. Like, I mean it. And I was crying last night just praying. And my daughter says, you're okay now, mommy, aren't you? 
you're good now. That happened already, but you're good. And it just reminded me of how God is so gracious, you know, and how important it is to not take life for granted at all. <laughs> when this happened seven years ago, you were having, you had just had your first child. Mm-hmm. And you've had how many children since so then? So I have a four-year-old now. Okay. And uh, when I went to, I had, uh, what do they call it, right after you have the baby and you have high blood pressure, I think it's called hyper, some level of hypertension. Okay. Preeclampsia. Preeclampsia. Yeah. Okay. And so they rushed me to the hospital. And in rushing me to the hospital, because I was swelling up all over, they put me in ICU. And again, they found blood on my brain. Different spot. Neurologist says, it's a hairline fracture, and it'll reabsorb itself. A hairline fracture in your brain? Mm-hmm. Never heard of that. Yeah, hairline fracture of blood on my brain. So it was very thin, hmm. but you could see it, and okay. it wasn't in the same spot. And interestingly enough, I'd gone to a, I had my baby shower for my daughter before I was readmitted to the hospital after having her. And one of the ladies says, to be encouraged, I just believe that the Lord is saying to tell you that this incident will not come upon you a second time. And David, when I tell you that's the only word I held onto in the ICU room crying, thinking this is you not happening afraid. again. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Understandably. Yeah. yeah. So you've had one other child. And so because of this, mm-hmm. and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but as I understand it, you were feeling, you, you and the doctors both have, have kind of concluded that perhaps there may be a link, a causal link between you being pregnant and these uh, brain incidents that yeah. you, you're no longer having children. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's, that's the final final answer. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Now, I will say, though, I did talk to the doctor before. I wanted to understand, what is this? And it's just a weakening of a vessel. It's not the pressure of having a child or the pressure of anything can cause it, but it's really just having a weak blood vessel, you know. Mm. So you just want to stay from anything that causes pressure. Was it very difficult while you were having to literally relearn life in a lot of ways was it difficult to be a mother during that time period especially with young children yeah i had a very strong support system but it was difficult i mean just trying to get around and uh, my son's father was there so he was assisting me with things and you know it it, it wasn't me by myself i'll say that Um, but it was hard because there's things that you want to do as a mom you know and i couldn't i was taking medication so i couldn't i had to feed my child out of a bottle you know, I couldn't do the things that most moms want to do as far as that bond with your child. Um, but Talking about breastfeeding. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I couldn't do that. And so I was just kind of like, man, I'm missing out on all of this, but I was taking so many medications for my body. Now, I'm sorry. I just realized I really sort of missed the underlying factor there. Why couldn't you breastfeed? Because I was taking medication. Oh, oh, yeah. I get it. Because the medication, the medication would have gotten into the, in the, the breast baby. milk. Yeah. Got it. Got yeah. it. Okay. So those okay. things I wouldn't afford it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you clearly seven years later, I mean, now, you know, I've known you for what, a year at least, if yeah. not more. Yeah. And I just, you know, you were giving a speech at uh, the Christian Women's Job Corps luncheon that I was invited to attend. And, you know, I was like, oh, there's Rashida up on the stage. OK. And then you start talking about your brain incident, your brain surgery. And I'm stunned because I'm thinking I didn't have a clue. And I'm looking at you and you're saying that you had this, this incision that stretched from, I guess, the front of your head or near the front to almost the, your neck. And I'm looking and I'm like, well, I don't, you know, all this time that I've seen you, I've never sensed that just the very idea that you would have had brain surgery, it just never would have occurred to me. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's amazing, the recovery process. And, you know, like I said in the beginning, you had to be very close to me to tell. I don't know how God allowed me to heal miraculously like that in such a short period of time. But there were always things for a very long time that I could not do. But I think it was me pushing myself and stretching myself that made me get back mm-hmm. in some form of alignment. You know, I could have been lazy. You know, when I first mm-hmm. got home, my kid's father said, you're going to make French toast. And I'm like, I can't make French toast, which I love. And he said, no, you're going to do it. You learn how to assimilate in the kitchen, how to find the things in the fridge. Go ahead and look for the bread, look for the butter. And so it was almost like everyone around me gave me a little bit of time to lick my wounds. But because they knew my personality and how resilient I was, they pushed me to push myself. And I think that's where my courage, I mean, I'm from writing a book to running a program now and being able to function in almost, in my opinion, somewhat of full capacity. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you remember how you were yeah. Oh, yeah. and how you felt and you don't see any difference. You mean after it was yeah. all done mm-hmm. before and after? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know that before I feel more like myself before, but I feel like I feel like there are some areas that I, I have challenges with and it's not physically. It's my own confidence. More than physically rehabilitating, I think it took me more time to rebuild my confidence in doing certain things. Mm-hmm. I just didn't, one confident, was nervous. I didn't want to make any mistakes. Uh, you know, I beat myself up over the smallest things because by nature I'm an overachiever. And every time I felt like I was missing the market, probably because of my surgery, you know, it's kind of that kind of thing. You know, and then you have to have people around you. You said having the right people around you is like some point people have to say, okay, come on, you can do this. No more excuses. Push, you know. And my mother was one of those people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Take your bed and walk. (laughs) Rashida Doray Wilson, uh, you have an amazing story. Uh, And I just want to thank you for sharing it. Thank you. On this podcast, we talk about a wide range of things related to wellness and health and medical issues and and I think this is a first. I don't think we've ever talked to anybody, at least not that I can recall, over the past few years of doing this podcast. I don't think we've ever talked to anybody who had brain surgery and lived to tell about it and to sort of walk us through the precipitating incident as well as, you know, what, what came afterwards. So thank you well, thank for your you. candor <laughs> and for sharing your story. And, you know, like like a lot of folks are fond of saying today, you don't look like what you've been through. <laughs> Thank you don't God. look like what you've been through. You don't sound like what you've been through. I mean, there's just, you know, without you telling us, nobody would be the wiser. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, that's what God's healing. Yeah. Total healing looks like. So. Yeah. Yeah. Thank Beautiful. you for having me. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. The Healthy Alabama podcast is sponsored by Enroll Alabama, a project of AIDS Alabama. It is produced in partnership with Praise 90.1 FM, WJOU, and we are in the beautiful studios of WJOU right now. Uh, Our theme music was produced by my man DJ Bailey, a master, a mix master at the board, creating great sounds for this podcast. I'm David Person. Until next time, be healthy.